What's up, fellas? Happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there, uh, all the non-dads out there. Uh, happy Father's Day to you with uh, all your players out there that look up to you guys as that. We know how important that is. Uh, obviously, we talk about it all the time here on the podcast. Um, also, just a quick reminder, our hot summit, very first O-line hot summit, is coming next week. Starts next Monday, so you guys make sure sign up for that for free on our website, or you can get our all-access pass if you want to go back and look at any of those 18-plus uh, coaches' presentations. We're really, really excited to get it uh, started off next week, so hopefully you guys will all show out uh, and, and learn a bunch of O-line tips for you guys going into the season. And that's all on our website, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, and we have to say uh, it's a game changer. Uh, it's it's really cut down on my time when I'm trying to make playbooks for my guys. Uh, we especially love the playbook tool. It allows us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, uh, power, pin and pull, inside zone, and counter. Uh, and using formations so we can save time and be way more productive, as I said. Uh, just Play has a limited time offer uh, that actually just got extended only for RTP listeners. You can get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is $60 off the normal list price. This offer has been extended, uh, and it now ends at the end of this week on June 21st. So this is your last chance to get this deal. Get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletics programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Uh, right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Huddle. Coaches, imagine being able to rewatch every down as soon as it's over. What could that do for your decision-making, for your team's performance, for your season record? That's exactly the impact that Huddle Sideline delivers. This instant replay system creates a closed network that takes what you record and sends it directly to viewing devices anywhere on the field. Whether you're in the press box or on the sideline, you can watch any play as many times as you need to learn what adjustments need to be made. You can even connect your viewing device to a monitor to show your entire offense instant feedback on the last drive. Huddle has multiple packages and pricing options to ensure that you'll find the level that fits your team's needs. Don't wait until your season starts to get this set up. Add Huddle Sideline to your team subscription now to be ready to roll for Game 1. Visit huddle.com slash RTP Sideline for more details. On this episode of RTP, we talk again with Dub Maddox. Coach Maddox is currently the head coach at Victory Christian High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Coach Maddox is also the creator of R4 Offensive System and an author of three best-selling coaching books. His books, Adapt or Die and What is Open, are two of the top-selling football coaches' books in America. Listen as we talk with Coach Maddox about his trip to the University of Iowa to talk with their staff about the R4 system, lessons learned from his first season as a head coach, and some great insight in how he will be attacking the latest football craze, tight front with three safety looks. You can follow Coach Maddox on Twitter at CoachDubMaddox 
and at R4FBChat. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, well, people pretty much know uh, who Dub Maddox is, I would think, by now, if they're listening to the podcast, so uh, you, you don't have to do all the, the pleasantries, but, you know, talking a little bit about the, the life changes and things that have kind of been going on in your life, you know, uh, where do you want to start, man? How was your first year as a head coach? How was your first year as a dad? And then, you know, talk a little bit, too, about, I guess, about, you know, putting out two books in the same year. Well, yeah. So in terms of just being a first time head coach, I think, you know, really when you come in late, like in May or June, like I did, you know, really your first year is your second year because the first year you're just trying to hold on. Um, and it's impossible to get all the things in place that you need. So it's really just a, a lot of just uh, trying to get the most critical components uh, set, you know, with your you know rules and your culture. Getting the, I mean, the biggest thing is just getting your coaching staff assembled. And it's kind of hard to do that um, when you come in late. So it's really just trying to, you know, work and just get those guys brought up to speed as best you got. And then, you know, over time, you're, you're start to, you know, get the guys you want in and, and the right uh, the right principle set. So that was really it. We, we finished eight and three, had a good year, uh, lost both of our quarterbacks week six and seven, went eight and three. So it was a rough end uh, just trying to do stuff schematically with a third string quarterback. So and we're young. We're coming back. We're going to be extremely young next year. Uh, so, so it's been great uh, to build it. I think that the first thing is the head coach that I learned that you you really just that first year, you almost you're playing the long game. So you really got to focus, have a laser focus on your your middle school programs and your youth programs. And we really focused on our middle school kids. Uh, the off season was huge for those guys, getting our hands on them. And I think coming from a bigger school, one of the things that I saw the, the one of the benefits of being a smaller school was the the ability to get. Uh, contact and have daily interaction and get the weight room program established with those seventh and eighth graders. So, so we have a first hour athletic period. So starting in November when their season was over, I mean, we had a good five, six months of just teaching them the fundamental lifts and in the weight room, uh, you know, work ethic and the culture there. And that's the, been the funnest thing I think for me is uh, establishing and seeing the benefits and the fruits of that. And, and we haven't even experienced those fruits yet, but we will in the next couple of years um, but think about, you know, it being in a bigger school, and I know Rowdy, you know, where you're at. Um, and, and I, you know, I started out coaching at Broken Arrow, you know, you really don't get to your hands and get to build those relationships till really their sophomore year. And you only have three years with them. Well, being at a smaller school, I'm now going to have five to six years of, of relationships built with those kids. So I think uh, just that building that team, that aspect, those relationships, I'm excited to see how that benefits us in the future. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I'm kind of one of the lucky ones that at, at least with my dad, who's at a 3A school, he goes through uh, kind of the same thing you're talking about. Uh, and, and I get to hear from him uh, all the cool things. You know, obviously, there's there's some things that I'm sure they would envy about some of the big school things that, that we get to do. But uh, there's definitely some things like that, that that he gets to do with his kids. Um, and And he knows his kids from, uh, you know, he's got obviously a, an elementary program, uh, not through his school Berry Hill, but uh, they all play at his high school field. And so he knows these kids when they're fourth and fifth graders and, and they come out to camp and they camp with him and, and he's working the kids out from a young age. And so, like you said, he kind of knows these kids. Um, and, and as much as you can be bought in at a big school, I think there's a little bit extra at, at, at some of the smaller schools because, uh, you know, they know the head coach 
really, really well. And, and all the assistants, especially if they're there for a while, um, and, and it's kind of all they talk about when they're at school. They see my dad out at school, and, and uh, it, it's a really cool deal that he gets to go through that. And, and kind of like you're talking about, Dub, as far as uh, you've got a, a big hand um, from from sixth, seventh grade all the way on. And then, you know, kind of another thing is uh, when he wants to kind of put something, get something done um, at a bigger school, uh, man, it, it, from what I'm kind of figuring out these last few years, there's a lot of red tape. It takes a long time to, to get something, even what seems like minute done, where uh, dad wants something done at a smaller school with less organization up, up ahead, you know, on top of him, he can kind of get something done in, in a pretty – pretty timely manner I'm, I'm assuming uh, is the same for you as well yeah it's like you know those big you're like t- trying to turn a battleship versus a you know a speedboat you're you're pretty you're a lot more nimble at a smaller school <laughs> I hear man both both sides of the thing you know been in in a couple of places uh, I'm also in a unique situation where there's a, a couple of high schools in the same you know same district so you you run into some different problems with you know hey everything's got to be the same so that's been one of the deals, but I think you really touch on a huge portion of, I think a couple of things that can give you an advantage, no matter what your situation is. You know, I think, you know, one, finding ways to get that youth program to work with your varsity guys. We've done that and we've seen it really blow up now here in year four and year five, because our kids, I feel like, you know, are a year or two ahead of a lot of people physically, especially in Iowa. And then the second thing, um, getting that coaching staff, finding the right people makes a huge difference. And I know, Dub, you've had some really good success in finding good people and even finding some of those, that strength and conditioning person as well. I know you just hired Coach Case. So talk a little bit about, you know, having the right people in place as well. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that's probably the most critical thing as a head coach is you realize you, you can't be the smartest guy in the room. And, and it's really hard um, to find guys with that right mindset of just, you know, I mean, doing all those things you're asking your kids to do, right? And and then also meshing with, you know, relationships with the, with that staff. you got to be stronger, I think, with your coaching staff and those relationships, and that trickles down to the kids. And and they can sniff out when there's friction and there's, the, you know, the bad relationships. And and so I think, you know, you really have to do a lot, of, a lot of time really, you know, finding that right guy. And sometimes I think, you know, it's like the energy bus. It's like sometimes it's the, the book by John Gordon. It's better to leave that seat empty until you fi- find the right person to fill that seat. And so that's really one of the things uh, that, that I made sure, you know, that the idea is, we, you know, we, we were actually a coach short last year and we just did that one because I was too late. But another one is because, you know, we need to find the right guys to fill the, that seat. And so we're starting to get some of those guys now and I'm excited about it. I think, you know, Dub, my biggest question probably going from uh, OC to, to head coach is, uh, you know, I think everyone's kind of got a, a grandeur of this is what I'm going to do. This is kind of some of the, the things I want to put in place. And then uh, maybe they kind of run into things as a head coach that they didn't ever even think of, you know, from the, from the OC's job or from the, an assistant's uh, point of view. Obviously, um, I'm sure you didn't have as many of those because you were – uh, a big OC at Jinx, and, and you were there for so long, um, and, and I'm assuming helped with a lot of the stuff that, that Trimble did. But uh, were there a few of those things that you ran into that you kind of had these big ideas and then kind of, you know, not only big ideas, but had some things that, that you ran into that were maybe a little more difficult as a head coach than, than you had perceived? Yeah, I think it's just really it's time management, and, and you gotta you, you got to have your eyes on, on every position, and you got to, you know, making sure that, you know, 
really you just you're focused on your small group when you're a coordinator, your small group of coaches, and you just have to have a bigger focus. And really, I think the biggest thing is, is you got to have a focus on the future. You got to constantly have your mindset, not like as a coordinator, I'm just focused on that year. You know, I'm just focused on what do we have to do this year with our personnel, what schemes we need to run. Whereas a head coach, man, you got to look, you know, three years down the road, five years down the road, and everything you do is playing that long game. And so I think for me, that's the, the, the quickest thing that I, that, I, that I learned I needed to do that maybe I, I didn't realize uh, just how, how important it was, was just uh, how much you've got to look down the road and have a futuristic mindset. Well, as I say, if, if anyone was going to then write a, a, a third book, Dub, about time management, I, I think I'd probably have to pick you knowing that you know, all these life changes you've had within a, a year between, you know, you've talked about being a head coach, but then also talk a little bit about, I mean, dude, you had, you had two books be released. I mean, and I think both of them were pretty groundbreaking books for a lot of people. Um, it has helped, you know, bump your profile nationwide. I mean, I, obviously you were a, a guy that a lot of coaches, you know, knew about and, and wanted to follow through the R4 system, but, you know, that's even now bled into the college ranks where you've had the, the opportunity to. Uh, to consult with some guys. So talk a little bit about, you know, how do you manage that time in, in doing those things? And then, you know, how did this uh, opportunity to kind of meet with, you know, the, the staff at Iowa, how did that all kind of come about? Yeah. So the answer to the first question, really uh, it, it's about essentialism. And what that means is, is you, you really got to, you know, make sure, you know, every day you, you get, you, you try to get some things accomplished that you can get. So like every day, um, I, I'm just trying to get like of all the things I do. Okay, what can I get accomplished right now? You know, there might be an email, or maybe it's a you know, hey, today I'm going to write a page. You know, when we talk about writing a book, I'm, I'm going to get a I'm going to get a page done, just a page. Some days it's just a paragraph, but I think it's just those things we tell the kids. It's moving the chains. It's getting first downs. We're not focused on scoring touchdowns. I mean, I you just can't wake up and say, okay, I'm going to write a book. It's like, okay, I'm just going to write a paragraph. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a page. And, and when you do that, you have that daily discipline. And I'm not always perfect at it. But, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of great books on, on time management that I've, that I've come across. And it's just really just, you know, getting moment, daily momentum. So some days it, it's just, you know, hey, I'm going to answer five emails. Uh, I'm going to call this guy. Uh, you know, I'm going to write one paragraph. And then you'll wake up and three months later, you, you got, you know, five chapters written. You, you've got uh, you know, you've got all your cut-ups done. You've got, you know, I mean, whatever the case may be. But really, it's just that move to change mindset. And some days are better than others. But I think if you can have that daily discipline um, to get a list of things and identify and prioritize that list, okay, look, this this is going to take me two weeks to get finished. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put that off. What can I do today that's gonna that I can get done in in the next 15 minutes? Uh, and then what that does is it gets you momentum, and that momentum will, will carry you forward. Um, in terms of just the, the Iowa trip, uh, I spoke at a clinic in Cleveland, and uh, actually it was, it was kind of a, a unique deal. I, I was getting picked up at the airport uh, by one of the Glazier guys, and we were late, uh, running late, to, and I was like speaking in the next couple hours, and so I was worried I wasn't going to be uh, there in time to get the room set. He's like, hey, i got to pick up one more coach, and it was Ken O'Keefe, who is the quarterback's coach at Iowa, and he has a long-time relationship with Kurt Ferentz. Um, was the offensive coordinator there, I believe, from 99 to 2011 at Iowa and then left to go to the NFL. And so he spent the last five or six years with the Miami Dolphins. And when uh, Adam Case got fired or, or left to go to the Jets, 
uh, he got back into coaching at Iowa, and now he's the quarterback coach there. So he was speaking in the clinic, and um, we were waiting to pick him up. And I didn't know really who he was. And so I asked who the, who the coach was, and he said, Ken O'Keefe. And so I looked him up on my phone and realized, wow, man, this guy has, has been around, and he's kind of a legend. And I was, like, doing some research on him. So I'm just picking his brain. I mean, we're, he's in the dry, uh, passenger seat. I'm in the back. And I'm just like trying to milk any kind of information I can get because obviously this guy knows way more than I do. So I really enjoyed that car ride. And so I get out and I, you know, shake his hand, say, coach, great to meet you. Well, uh, my second session, I'm, I'm in there and, and, and I get down that second session and coach Ulibarri, who coaches with me, uh, went with me on the clinic. He's like, Hey man, do you know, uh, coach O'Keefe, he was in there. He was in the front row and he was taking like five pages of notes and, and I didn't even know he was in there because the room was pretty full. And so after the second session, he come up and he's like, man, I, I tell you what, I've been coaching a long time and, I, and I've never heard a better process to teach quarterbacks on how to see the field and how to game plan. And he goes, and, I, and I'm pissed off because I have to go speak right now and I want to stay in this next session. And so he gave me his card and he said, hey, I want to stay in touch with you. So I gave him a couple of the books and I thought that was going to be it because that's how it usually goes. Well, he calls me up uh, about uh, four or five weeks later and he said, hey, I, I, I want to uh, bring you in this summer uh, to come in and clinic with our staff on R4. And I was just like, okay, yeah, right, you know, because you get those kind of interactions, and I believe it when I see it. And so sure enough, man, he comes through, and, and, and they uh, flew me out there. And I uh, went out there and spent all day with their staff and just blown away, I mean, at the culture and just the, the group of men on that staff. It's just phenomenal. I mean, they treated me like royalty. And they had no reason to. And I'm telling you, Coach Ferentz, I mean, was in there for, for three hours taking notes and just an uh, unbelievable man. Uh, I can't say enough about that staff. It's just a special place. And I was just honored and humbled to, to be able to, to, to be in there with those guys and just and go over some, some ideas with them. So, so when someone brings you in like that, is the first thing to kind of say, hey, guys, is there something you want to hear? Or do you kind of always have a starting off point? Or, or how do you jump into something like that, especially, uh, you know, like you said, at a place like that, that I'm sure was, was really exciting to hear that actually come to, come to fruition? Yeah, I, can't, I, 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 I tried to ask them for talking points and try to ask them, you know, itinerary, what you want to cover. And, and those guys are so busy. I mean, they before, right when I got there, they had spent three days with the Patriots um, at their mini camp, and they flew in, you know, that uh, that day before. And so they were fresh off meeting with Belichick and McDaniel's and all those guys. And I'm like, great, this is going to be a good follow. Up. <laughs> and, and so they they didn't give me any kind of talking points. And so there's all kinds of directions I can go with our four. Right. There's a million, you know, roads you can go down. And so I just kind of started with just the basic concepts. Uh, just how we game plan, how we uh, teach, you know, acceleration of reads and how we, how we game plan and break down film. And it just kind of went from there. And I mean, we went seven straight hours and uh, I mean, I was toast. They had to scrape me up off the floor after I was done. That's awesome. I, I think too, I mean, you know, I've, I've been digging in with, you know, the, 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 what is open key. And I think, you know, when you talk about your starting points and, and I, I just love that question because, you know, you, you, you hear it all the time and, and you hear it, honestly, I've, I've been sitting in, in teacher meetings the last three days and you'd have people showing you their rubrics and you have people showing you their, their performance scales and their proficiency scales and they'd be using language. And every now and again, I'd raise my hand and I'd be like, hey, man, you know, what what does the word consistently mean when you, when you write that on there? So, I mean, and then you kind of almost make people dumbfounded and it's the same kind of deal. It's like, well, yeah, OK, well, as you're telling your quarterback to throw it to the open guy, you know, what does open mean? I think 
that idea in and of itself, and I, and I would venture to guess that you probably even had that conversation, you know, probably with several D1 coaches, and they have trouble answering it. Was that kind of the premise behind, you know, the, the book? And I know it would have been some of the questions you had as well about, quote, what is open. Right. And, and, and that's really and – and I opened up with just honest stories of myself and my career, you know, coaching quarterbacks my first year. Um, we had a really good quarterback that first year, but as we got into the playoffs and under pressure situations, the way I was teaching him to read and, and what to look for just wasn't working. And we were, we were looking at the field from different perspectives. And I think um, when you go in in a coaching staff or even in business, if you don't have everybody seeing through the same lens, that's what causes all the issues. It causes friction. Everybody is seeing things their own perspectives. And from a coaching staff world, you know, you have a, a group of guys in there and they, you know, you have, you know, five or six different perspectives and experiences. So you have to have a process and you have to have consistent frames of reference that, that bring everybody's experience into the same lens. And that's what R4 um, really does. And if you don't have that, you're really going to struggle. And I think that's if coaches were honest and which they were, that's the biggest struggle that they all have is everybody's fighting for their own play or uh, the way they think they should attack space. And if you don't have a common language and consistent frames of reference, um, you're really going to waste a lot of time. And that was my experience as a, a coordinator. I didn't do a good job my first couple of years of just uh, delegating and, and bringing everybody's ideas into the same, uh, the same lens and seeing the space the same. So that's really um, why R4 was created. It was created out of my failures. My failures as a quarterback coach, not helping my quarterback in situations where he didn't know what to look for when the defense did something they weren't expecting. And then my failures as a coordinator in my first year. And, and Walls, you know this story because we were coached together. Um, we were rolling in 2010, you know, my first year as a coordinator. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the most explosive offenses in Oklahoma history. Yeah. And we get to the, to the finals against Union and playing the OSU. And we go up 21 to seven, I think, in the halftime, I'm thinking, man, you know, this is calling plays is pretty easy. You know, you just call it and it works, right? I mean, I'm thinking, man, what a great story. You know, first year as a coordinator, you know, 12, 13, 14 and 0. Um, state championship doesn't get any better. And then we go out in the second half, they make some adjustments, we fumble the ball. And then next thing you know, there's a minute and 30 seconds left. We're down by three and got to go 80 yards to, to just get a field goal to tie, um, let alone. And I think I had one good play. I think we went poke right exit. We were direct snapping to Alex Ross, and we were running. I believe it was a, kind of a, a direct snap, you know, quarterback counter uh, play coming back to the weak side. And I knew I had one good play left that we had schemed up, and he bounces it out wide. And, and if he would have hit it inside in the A-gap, he's going to the house. Uh, yep. uh, but, he, you know, he bounced it wide, we get tackled. And, and that was the last – that was the only good play I had. I had one bullet left. And I remember looking at Dave on the sideline, you know, kind of looking, you know, we took a timeout, like, what do you like? And he's looking at me like, hey, dude, I'm the offensive line coach. If we're on the goal line, I got your play. But, you know, this is, you know? And, yeah. and then I remember, you know, calling on the headset, what do you guys like? And it's just crickets. And then I remember looking at those guys in the huddle, and they're all looking at me, and I was done. You know, I, I was lost. And I knew it. I knew it. And, you know, we go empty. We, you know, we take a couple shots, and, and we lose that game. I couldn't even get us in field goal position to tie it. And that was the biggest and the most heartbreaking loss I've ever had. And it was out of that defeat and that, that, you know, that failure that I knew I needed a better way. I never wanted to be in that situation again. I needed a way to get all the coaches seeing through the same lens. We needed a better plan um, to read the reality of space and reality of the situation. And that's, that was really the genesis of our four for game planning and play calling. 
I, I remember it too, man. We should, we should have another, another ring on that finger. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember that, you know, the same thing it's you're sitting up there and, and it's like, you know, we, we were having to, to kind of draw straws a little bit because all of a sudden now, you know, they're in their, their rush package and, you know, and they're bringing three, maybe four, but, but then they're playing two man underneath. Well, and they could lock us up, you know, and it's like, Oh, well, who's got the better man or something like that. Well, they had better guys than we did. And, uh, and we weren't really ready for that situation. So I, I, I completely know where you're at. And all of a sudden, man, out of that failure, it's like every single year now, you've always, even you almost have to play kind of devil's advocate as a, as a guy. It's like, hey, what, what's our plan for the end of the game? What's our plan for two man? What's our plan now for the three safety defense that everybody's going to be running next year? So, I mean, having that stuff done proactively because of your system using R4 it makes things so much easier rather than all of a sudden now, man, it's just, it's just reactive, reactive. Hey, what do you think? Hey, what do you think? It's like, no, 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 this is the next thing we've all decided on. Let's roll. Yeah. And, and that, and that's, I think that's the, the hardest thing to do as a coordinator is to bring everybody together on a weekend. And how, how do you structurally, you know, get everybody to prepare for those situations? Cause I think we all go into game plan meetings with good intentions, but you know, how many, how many rabbit trails do we chase? Um, how many, you know, I mean, you watch three hours of film and you have, you know, 28 different plays and then a coach has these 10 different plays. How do you network everything together? How do you, how do you grade personnel so you can ensure that that power play or that, you know, four vertical play is actually going to hold up against the opponents that you're going against. And that's really all the things that R4 answers. It gives you a streamlined process uh, to tell the story of the game plan to you, the coaches and players. And really my goal was to get everybody that walks out of that room from the coaches meeting to be where if I didn't show up on Friday night, you wouldn't miss me. Um, they, they would be able to take over and easily call the game. And I think uh, that that's, that's been my biggest uh, just, just things I enjoy the most now is that, and knowing that players are actually calling the next best play um, before I can even get out of my mouth. And I think those are the funnest games and the funnest moments I've had since the development of this is just empowering your coaches and players to see everything together. Coach, now you've become a, a head coach, and it's kind of been my curiosity, and, and I've always thought it would be a great idea, but I don't know how it ever gets done. And, and maybe, you know, kind of our, with R4, you've got a little bit more of, of sway to be able to do it. But um, it you know, is getting an offensive staff and a defensive staff to be able to communicate the same thing. You know, I think probably in almost every uh, coach's office around America right now, there's offenses, offensive coaches calling it uh, whatever, cover six, and then the defense is calling it something completely different. And um, it, it's, it makes it, I think, a little tougher to, to dual train some of your kids, and, uh, and, and it takes that extra – amount of time to communicate it back and forth as as coaches uh, is that something that you want to try to um you know get into your defense as well where you're all communicating on the same wavelength or is that something that you're still just kind of keeping on the offensive side and letting them kind of go with their thing on defense well that was one of the reasons why I took this job and and I didn't even apply for the jinx job when it came open and people you know thought I was crazy and what are you doing and why are you going to 2A and I just really wanted to be in an environment rowdy where I could could try all these things and and I and I feel like being at this smaller school level forces you to do that because we have five coaches on our staff and we have all of our players playing both ways so it forces us 
to have to do these things that you're asking. So we have, so now we can do R4 on offense and we're actually building it out now on defense where it, it's because it's just the inverse. Um, how we game plan offensively and what we're reading and how we do things, it, you flip it on the defense and we're just pattern reading the offense just like on offense we're pattern reading defense. And so having that same language on both sides, for example, if we call our flood concept Puma. Well, now if, if we're seeing a, a, a opposing offense running a flood concept, I'm just like, hey, guys, this is Puma. And they immediately know what that is. They know the strengths. They know the weaknesses. They know the route breaks. And so it accelerates, you know, that, that ability to quickly identify. And language really bottlenecks a lot of our learning and a lot of our ability to read patterns. So having that language consist on the both sides is a huge accelerator um, for a team. And it's just very difficult to do that at a higher level or a program that's been established when a defensive corner has been doing something for 20 years, I mean, why does he want to change? Uh, and and it's, it's a really difficult shift to do, but if you can do it and just endure it, <laughs> you'll never look back and you'll be so thankful you did. I, I couldn't, I, you know, just the thought of it, I've, of something I've always wanted, you know, loved and thought about as, as the, uh, as the guy that kind of runs a scout team for the defense, you know, I run with our scout offense so we can, uh, you know, get better. I believe that it does a lot of stuff for my two offensive line. But um, if we were on the same page, and like you said, it's tough. We've got a guy that, you know, if you've got coordinators that have both done a, a tremendous job and everyone's got their own way and just trying to get a whole defense with a bunch of different defensive coaches on the same page can be, you know, its own challenge. But I've always thought, you know, in in the if all things came together and it was a, a perfect world, how cool it would be able to to have on a sheet of paper them say we want to run – you know, these formations that we call it and then call it power, you know, our power play and then our counter. And then that way I'm telling our guys, we don't have to cart it up and, and we can run. Uh, we're, we're getting, you know, two times the amount of reps, not having to show cards, but getting guys to hear the play and get used to it. Just selfishly, I've, I've thought how, how awesome that would be for some of my twos and, and my threes that are working that, that'll have to play for me the next two years. Right. And, and, and Nick Saban does the same thing. And I think, um, you know, he, he's got it to where he has so many coaches leaving every year. It's like, no, here's our system. Here's how we call it. And when he brings a new coach, you're going to call it our way and you're going to do it our way. So if you can get those nuts and bolts established with your staff and get your coaches and your players to understand that if you have to make those new hires, you know, you, you're, it's easier to make that guy, you know, that coordinator has maybe been doing something his way. You know, to, it's a lot easier to change one guy than, than you know, five coaches and, and, you know, 45 or 50 different players. And so I think that's the beauty of it is our scout team's practices are so much smoother now because they're not looking at a number tree. You know, I don't know if, like, you know, you have the, the route, you know, okay, we're going to run four zero seven eight two because that's how our defense used to code, you know, concepts. Hey, no, this is just Patriot, you know. And, mm -hmm. and, and so, I mean, it just accelerates, you know, everything for your practices and makes every the, the, the cross, you know, pollination of, of the understanding a lot faster. My, my favorite, too, on the, the scout cards is when they, they circle the route, the one that they want you to throw. It's like, well, this is what they, this is what they threw on, on the film. And it's like, dude, uh, do you think maybe they're, they're teaching guys to throw it, you know, <laughs> on a progression to, to, you know, the guy that is in open space? That was always my, my personal favorite. Hey, take the three-step drop and just throw it here. Okay, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that, that's going to get you ready for Friday. <laughs> well, I, I, Coach, I, I, I agree with you again. I mean, in so many levels, I mean, we just went to a seven-on-seven seven in Nebraska, and obviously in, in Iowa we don't have, you know, spring ball. And uh, we literally had two practices uh, before we, we had a chance to, to go to this thing, and we executed at a, a pretty high level. 
Um, obviously, it's not going to be perfect, but I mean, again, ha having that common language, having kids that you can, you know, meet with occasionally in the off season, and having it be concept driven, and, and then being able to understand routes and adjustments and coverages, uh, and caps and collisions, all all of that language. I mean, our coordinator was amazed at the retention that our kids had from you know last year going through the the, the winter where we were able to throw maybe six times. And all of a sudden now we're out on the field and we're executing at a super high level. What are some of the things that you're doing to kind of increase that, that depth of knowledge? So it's not just a kid saying, Oh yeah, yeah, it's Patriot. You know, he knows what the routes are, but he, he has a, a depth of knowledge, you know, as to, you know, what, what the play is, where we're trying to attack the design, all those things. What are some of those strategies you use? Well, I mean, the, the main thing we're using is, is our, our grid and, and teaching, you know, our players frames of reference, um, that don't change. So like we call it the halo that stands for hard deck. The A is for apex. The L is for the line of center. And then the O is for the outside space outside the apex. And once you establish those, those frames of reference that don't change, uh, it's a lot easier to process patterns post snap. And that is the biggest thing that I think offenses are going to need in today's game, because the modern game of defense, what you see pre-snap is not what is going to occur post-snap. So you have to have a language and a process and frames of reference that allow you to easily communicate the different post-snap pattern movements that you're going to see. Um, for example, we talked about Iowa State. You mentioned them earlier. I mean, that defense is phenomenal. They've done a great job of kind of r 4 defense. And what I mean by that, it's, it's insurgent warfare, their defensive strategy. And so they're going to give you the same look pre-snap and then it could be four to five different coverages different pressures post-snap and if you're teaching passing progressions based on the old way one high two high we're going to work this way one high this way two high you know we're going to read this defender key well you're dead because there, there is no one high two high anymore it's mm -hmm. it's everything's you know pattern matching it's post-snap movement and so if you don't have a language and a context to work where everybody's working from the same lens you as a coach and even your players are not going to be able to process that in three to four seconds. So I think that's probably the best thing we do is establishing those frame of reference, uh, talking about the different movements and having the language to, to navigate through that. Is there like a certain progression you guys do when you're teaching that? I mean, obviously you're going to sit down, you're going to give them kind of, you know, the surface level language. And then how, how are you kind of, you know, like the, the next level, you know, of that? How are you like checking for them? for understanding, you know, is it something where you have a couple of concepts that you maybe are practicing on the field? What's kind of your progression when you, when you do kind of install and, and talk about Halo for each one of your concepts? Yeah, well, the first thing we do is we have to teach base coverage and base fronts. I mean, they have to know football one-on-one. They, you know, the five base coverage families, you know, are zero, one, two, three, and four. And once you understand the strengths and weaknesses of those, you know, really every coverage in football is going to boil down to one of those four families. But there's going to be blends and mixtures now. And then from that, we go into the five advanced coverage families, and that's cover five, which we've man under halves, uh, cover six, which is uh, cover four to one side, two to the other, cover seven, which is your trips formations, like your stubby and your stump coverage, uh, cover eight, your pattern reading, you know, cover four, where you're reading number two, uh, and you're, you're adjusting based on the pattern. And then uh, cover nine, which is your trips coverage, where you're going to play, you know, quarters to the field and cross key to safety and, and play some different variations of coverage on the X receiver. So that's kind of the progression we do for a coverage standpoint. And once they know the strengths and weaknesses of those, then we can go into the halo and the different games defenses play in and out of, of those coverages. So that's really kind of the progression. How we install it is we use uh, poker chips. 
uh, we get the poker chips out on the table. We'll have, you know, the slides on the screen and we'll have the kids team teach each other. We'll have our seniors and juniors teach the younger guys. And as coaches, we can, you know, set up a bunch of tables, get those poker chips out, different colors represents different position groups. And we can use those to make sure they're understanding the concepts. And we have the kids teach. I mean, I think that's, I learned more in my first year of teaching than I did all five years of college. So, um, so, so I, I want to try to instill that, that with our players. And then we do the same with the front families. You know, we, we teach, you know, under front, over front, even front, you know, odd front and then bare front. And that's our five base front families. They need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of those and then the different games defenses can play in and out of those fronts. So that's really kind of our spring ball install is just understanding the base families. And then we progress out from there with the different line movements and blitzes and, and variations of coverage off of those base families. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that, that, that deep level understanding, I mean, it's like you said, the, the first year you teach something, when I'm forced to have to be able to teach it and, and verbalize it and think about it and reflect on it, that, that's when I actually start to learn my craft, you know, and there, you get a lot of kids, you know, that, you know, that, that want to take that multiple choice test because it's all just the, you know, recall questions and things like that. Well, all of a sudden now I, I make them think a little bit or I make them verbalize it or I'm forcing them to have to, you know, make thoughts or, or connect the dots. All of a sudden now you start to see that, that understanding just explode. And it's like, you know, we talked about, I, I didn't have to spend a ton of time with my guys on the, the reinstallation of that stuff because their knowledge of it was so deep. Now it's just a, a couple of tweaks here. You say one or two things and you have the, that common language and those common coaching cues. It just sparks that knowledge back. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's right. Boom. They go out and they execute it. That's good stuff, man. Well, coach, uh, all the coordinator stuff is, is all good and stuff. But hey, what I want to know is, is how your, your first year of getting to coach offensive line was because uh, that's, what's exciting to me. And, and um, I got to uh, – you kind of got to be around the, the who's who of offensive line coaches, in my opinion, uh, around the state going, you know, as a coordinator. Um, but with Dave and, and Brady and, and Greenwood kind of guys that probably everyone in the state knows. And then uh, now, like you said, now that you're working with the offensive line, um, and, and that's all I've ever worked with. And, and I love getting to be around those guys. But um, – how was that first year? I'm sure you've always been involved with the offensive line, but, but that kind of being your baby this year, um, how was that going into that first year as the offensive line coach as well? It's the best thing I've ever done. And I think every coach that desires to be a coordinator or um, go on to a play, coach at a high level, I think you need to coach it at least one year. And I can't express how much I learned uh, just in one season. You know, I always understood the schematics of offensive line play and things like that. But it's really just, if you don't understand the technical side, how critical steps are, hand placement, um, all those little nuances, um, you're really setting yourself up for, for missing out opportunity. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that I learned is just uh, how to generate more explosive plays or fix issues that occur. You know, you know, we get a run and it gets, you know, stopped for, you know, two yard loss. Well, why did that happen? And you can now instantly have those, okay, here's the technique tools that we need to use to, to fix this issue, or here's the different run we got to go to. Um, you know, always relying on, on the coaches I've been under who've been all great, like you mentioned, um, makes it your life a lot easier. Uh, but I think just having that, that background and that, that hands-on experience just is going to, you know, make you better down the road. Coach, what were some of like your go-to, you know, indie periods and, and drills and things that you had to do, you know, knowing, I don't know how you guys would break up practice, knowing that you have to, you know, coach both sides of the ball. 
you kind of got to get, you know, a lot of bang for your buck, I'm imagining. So what, what might have been some of the go-to things that you really had to kind of dive into when coaching the O-line as far as a, a drill and technique is concerned? Yeah, well, really, it's, it's all about stance and steps, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I, did, I never realized how critical and how, many, how a bad stance can set you up for failure and how those false steps or, or, or a misstep um, can set you up. I mean, really, it's all about that. It's amazing now that you can watch film. And, and if, you know, if a block, uh, you miss a block or the defensive line disengages and is able to, to win, you can it, it easily identify what those issues were with that stance and steps. And that was the funnest thing for me is just being able every day, I mean, we'd always go stance steps. Uh, from that standpoint, we would go to, you know, we had pot up and we would go work our, you know, our doubles and our, our double team combinations with inside outside zone. Um, having to work the nuances of pull techniques and, and, you know, learning how to pull correctly and how to, you know, fit around the proper gap. Um, so those are some things we do in Indy. And then obviously then you got to go into your pass protection fundamentals with, you know, your different sets. Um, I think that's the thing I learned from Dave and, and you, Brady and Doug, is just, you know, the different set, sets you have to have against different defenders. You know, you can't always take the same set. And there's some things you can do when you're, you know, maybe outmatched. You're going against a quicker guy that can, you know, allow you to get your hands on or, or make him take a wrong or a bad angle. Uh, different hand weapons and hand strikes to use. And I think uh, being able to, one of the things, you know, being a smaller school, you, so we have some bigger guys that might be heavier and, and, and being able to, you know, I was always a three-point stance guy. We're going to get in a three-point stance, but some guys, they, they just weren't as good in the three-point stance. Just physically, we didn't have enough time to, to get them where they could, you know, handle a three-point. So, you know, we went to, you know, some guys had getting a two-point stance. And so I think being able to work to the personnel ability of your players, um, then going into inside run, obviously, and filming that every day and uh, getting them to make sure they're making the right calls and you have the terminology. That's kind of was our daily progression. Yeah, footwork is is not one of the sexy things I don't think to talk about uh, with, with all of the probably the cool stuff there is out there. But, um, man, you can diagnose, like you said, so many things in the run game come down to those first couple of steps. And, and uh, then you start looking and saying, well, why are our first one or two steps bad? Uh, then that gets you back into the stance, and and uh, it, it can really be a rabbit hole. But it's it's fun to see that uh, to diagnose that, and then um, you know me as an offensive line coach, it was always cool. And, and you've already done this with the whole offense, obviously. But uh, to me, it's always cool to be able to marry up all of these schemes and concepts because you can run everything you want to run, but how do you marry those things up? How do you make that easy for your offensive line to go out there uh, and then? The biggest thing that I've found that these few years being with with Walls and and uh, with Dave is is just how important that primary rule is because just like uh, you know as you speak so much about a defense changing after the snap uh, if you're very good up front you're going to see that a lot from from defensive fronts and from linebackers and and if it does change you know I, I kind of ran into that my first couple of years uh, before or my first year beginning of the season until Brady made me change it um, of guys moving around and okay guys these are the four, three or four fronts we're going to see and then we're good and so no one's in those fronts and people are slanting out of it and, and giving us new things and and if, if you know I learned how important it was to have some of those primary rules uh, so we can get a playoff against some of these uh, crazy things you might see uh, throughout a game. Yeah, I think, and that's the thing that coaching offensive line as a coordinator helps you with is, is you know, how are we going to protect these runs? And, and when, when you're you're down there in, in the details with, with, you know, being coaching an offensive line, you know, that's, that's at the forefront of your mindset where, you know, before just being a coordinator and a skill guy, you know, you're just thinking about, okay, how are we going to throw the ball, the space we're going to attack, and really, you know, you don't really – 
you come to that later in the game plan process, but now it's like that's the first thing. You know, we're, okay, what runs can we establish and how are we going to protect them with our perimeter screens, our RPOs, or, or our dropbacks, or play action. And I think that's the biggest thing that I probably gained from coaching offensive line. What uh, what else did you kind of learn too maybe then from – I know you've talked a little bit in the past about being able to, to, to scout the personnel and things like that. How, how does that kind of – you know, go to the forefront of one, how am I going to protect this thing? And then two, obviously, if they got some, some cat daddies on the outside, how is that going to maybe affect then some of my, you know, down the field throws and whatnot, or maybe I'm going to have to chip this guy. Is that something you kind of ran into a little bit this year, or maybe it was even at Jenks? Yeah, so I think that's – if you say, you know, what's the best thing you guys do with R4 in your game plan and play calling process, it's grading the personnel that you're going against – and we talk about that in the book and we go deeper on the modules on our online system is we have now a grading process for every position um, for all of our, you know, you have, you have your passing game that you're grading. So you're grading basically man first. And so we, what we do is when we sort film is we're trying to find all the man coverage or even if it's a split field coverage and they're playing man to a side, the first thing that we have to know is how does that defender play man? You know, is, is he a cushion player? Or is he a collision player? Um, at the last step of the quarterback's drop, what's his dominant position in his hip angle? How fast does he close on the ball on breaks? And so we have an Excel sheet. We have a grading process. And that's probably the thing we spent the most time with Iowa um, with them is just teaching those guys um, how we grade. And they had their GAs in there, too. And they were you know, the GAs, they're making sure they understood that because – with the grading process now and how streamlined it is, I can teach a junior high coach or even a booster club parent, I can teach him the process and he can watch the film, stop the play at a certain point in time. And he can now fill in that sheet with those, with those key things we're looking for, those non-negotiables. And he can walk away and give me a grading sheet that I can trust because the process is so streamlined. Um, and we actually teach that to our players now where before, you know, we'd tell our guys to watch film this week, we'll share the clips. And we get our, uh, you know, we look on huddle and see how much film they watch. And we're all pumped up because Johnny watched, you know, 27 hours of film this weekend. And we go out to the game and in practice, he has no clue what's going on because he just left the huddle film running while he's playing Xbox, right? And so now once we teach yeah. our kid, now once we teach our kids how to grade, they, they absolutely love it, okay? So we tell our, you know, X receiver, you know, hey, you know, we, you need to grade number 25 this week. Man, he comes back and he has that grading sheet filled out. Coach, we got to run a curl on this guy. We got to run, you know, double moves on this guy. He has, he has a detailed plan, and it actually empowers him and it empowers us to know that he, he actually watched the film. And we do the same thing in the run game. We, you know, we have run game accelerators um, that we grade. You know, we can grade their penetration ability, how, how well they pursue, how well they plug, um, how well they pin. And doing that, I think, is the best thing you can do uh, from a play calling standpoint because, you know, a lot of times we watch the film, at least before I had this process, and I say, okay, you know, who's their best guys? And everybody say, well, it's 14, 29, and, and three. Okay, great. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we stay away from them entirely? You know, does that mean, you know, I mean, does that mean what, what I mean, because every strength, there's a weakness. So even if, even if a player has a strength, you can use that against them. And so that's what we, we are able to teach our coaches and players with the R4 is, is going deeper into – basically creating a forensic profile of who they are. And I think when you can do that and empower your coaches and players to do that, you see the game and you read the reality of what you're seeing much better. Yeah, and I think that's maybe one of the worst, uh, at least in my experience of, of going through it, one of the, the worst coached uh, parts of the game is, is how many times in college I had a coach tell me that we need to watch film, but I was never, ever, ever taught 
uh, how to watch film or what I was ever supposed to be looking at. Uh, so I, I loved watching film when I was a player just of myself so I could get better. Um, and, and that's kind of something I'm, I'm heavy on my guys is watching themselves. But I think that's probably one of the most undercoached things. Like you said, okay, well, I'm glad that my offensive line watched two hours of whoever we're playing, but I don't know that they even got anything out of it. They might have just been watching the game. You know, for, for, for all I know, if I'm sending them out, I don't give them uh, very concise uh, certain instructions. Yeah, so you're watching film. You see the front, you know, over front. Hey, we're going to run power to this. I mean, schematically it should work, but have we really gone deeper? You know, can we double team that three technique? Maybe that's a, a five-star guy and every film we're watching, he's just destroying that double. Well, power's not going to work very well. <laughs> right. So we have to have an answer. Maybe that backside linebacker is pursuing so hard they got the man advantage. We're not going to win. So you, you run it three times in the game before you figure out you can't run it. I, I don't want to be in that situation. So this allows a checks and balances system that you can use with your staff during the week to, to put that stamp of approval on that play. Or, you know, maybe we need to have a different tag or a different answer, you know, if we get in the game and we can't handle that. Dub, I know you've been breaking down, we've said it a couple times, the three, three safety defense, the Iowa State defense. You know, I, I think, I mean, obviously I know I'm going to see a ton of it because, you know, I, I live 15 minutes away from Iowa State. So uh, everybody and their dog is going to be running it this year. But, you know, what are some things that, that you think are, are going to be uh, effective against, you know, that, that sort of defense, that style of defense? Yeah, I think, I think the first thing is you've got to realize is that your, your big shot throws – will not come off dropbacks. And I think in, in watching the film, you know, you'll see these teams, you know, they're coming around and double posts or trying to run these shot plays and you're just, you're, you're thrown into a brick wall. So you have, you have to have the ability to use play action, uh, whether it's a pulling a guard or really just naked bootleg. I mean, you can't run naked bootleg enough against, against that defense, in my opinion. You know, there's all kinds of different ways you can run boots, creative ways you can do it, but you have to move the pocket you have to incorporate dropbacks, and you got to kind of know which defenders are the dual read players. I mean, you, you got to know based on the, the coverage that they're, they're showing, because in that defense, the, the, how they play it and how they can show the same thing, there's, there's different players there based on what they've called that are the dual read guys, meaning that they're a box and a pass player. So you need to know how to identif identify that. Um, You've got you to use your running back on routes. I mean, if, you, if your running back is not a part of your passing game and you don't have the ability to manipulate him on different routes in space, I mean, you're, you're screwed in the passing game. I mean, they wall so hard and so deep, and the undercoverage is so exposed, you have to establish that early. So when we see it, we actually there's, – there's concepts where we'll call like a five-step play, and we're actually going to make a rush progression tag, in which that tells the quarterback he's actually going to rhythm the, the, the running back route first. Mm -hmm. And you've got to establish that early. And that's the things I've seen on the teams that, that have gone against them. The teams that had the most success are going out and they're hitting that running back on, on check downs, on hook routes, on uh, angle routes, on you know, flat routes. Uh, you have to be able to read post-snap. I mean, your quarterback has to have a post-snap progression process. He just, he's not going to know pre-snap where the weakness is. And I think that's the biggest thing that R4 uh, provides for your quarterback is the ability to, to realize the reality of what he's seeing in those three to four seconds on the drop. Um, the running backs in the run game, they have to press the center line. They have to know how to read linebackers. And I'm going to go off here for a minute. I, this is the most common coaching point I've heard when coaching running backs is you don't coach them. Let them be an athlete and do what they do. Well, if I had that same mindset with quarterbacks, how good would we, they be? It, you know, if I, if I told that to my receivers, hey, just get open, you know, we're not going to be very good. 
you know, so you have to have the ability to inform your running back on a, on a visual cue uh, to know where to insert, you know, with whatever run scheme you're running. And what I see a lot of, of on these teams that we broke down is the running backs like in gun offset runs, they commit across the center line way too early and you're just, you're, you're putting them in a bind. If they press the center line, know how to read a backer, they could fit into uncapped space way more efficiently. Um, I think you got to use fold schemes. Uh, you know, you got to insert some fold schemes on your zone stuff. Um, they show an oaky front a lot, which is for, for in, in my terminology, that's five techniques. Um, but really a lot of times is those five techniques are really B gap players that, you know, they're going to strike and separate and try to fall back in that B gap. So I think you got to use some insert and fold schemes there on those guys to, you know, to get guys and create space inside. And then I would use two tight end, you know, condensed formations as well. Um, to try to get them in, in more of a traditional set, if that's possible. That's just some things off the top of my head that I would I would try to use um, for my study. You talked a little bit about running backs in the past game, and I think that's probably what what jinx for for the longest time you were there, and and even uh, I think the very first play of the state championship game this year, uh, they went to empty and 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 got us pretty bad. Um, and, and it's kind of you know you guys have always done a good job with those tailbacks. Walls did a great job when he was here at Broken Arrow, but. Um, when you're teaching tailbacks in the past game and, you know, more than just what they're doing after a protection, is that something you're trying to teach them all of, of your, your routes and all of your, your plays, or are you you're trying to kind of spoon feed him along um, as you go throughout the year? Or how does that normally work uh, when you're teaching running backs in the, in the past game? Because as Walls has said so many times, they can be such a threat. Well, it kind of goes back to the old air raid way where originally, I think in the air raid, in, in at least in some, the way it was, it was taught to me was the running back was tied to protection. And so they would make like, you know, a 50 protection call and the running back would go left. He'd always check, check, and then and flare out or shoot to the, to the left side. And that's kind of all you saw. Well, I think today's game, if, if you line your running back and the defense knows exactly what protection is based on his alignment, you're screwed. So you have to have the ability to, you know, disconnect your running back, uh, you know, put him to a different side, put him in pistol, you know, change his, his landmark a little bit. And then what we do in the spring ball is we give our running backs, we have a route tree. And so what we do on our protection is we'll call our protection and we'll tag what route we want them to run. So we have kind of a default, you know, check release that we use. So if we don't say anything, you know, he knows he, he's check release into a certain way. And then if we want to, based on game plan, you know, have different matchups or we want to give them different space, we have a, a one-syllable word tag that we put at the end of the protection that communicates where he goes after the check release. So I think that's probably the best thing we do in spring ball is we have, you know, routes that we check release to the boundary and have, we have terms for their field. And I think if you can teach him the language in the tree early, it makes it a lot easier when you're in week four or five well, you know what, if we put them on an ankle route off this concept this week, this is wide open. So let's just, well, let's tag, you know, uh, Texas or whatever you call it after protection. Yeah, I think too, I mean, I do the exact same thing that Dub does because I think it, it, it makes it simpler for the, for the tailback and it also lets the quarterback, I think, know, you know, if you do go through with, you know, be it a, a rush progression or knowing where, where my, my check down is going to have to be, it also helps with the QB. Um, the other thing I've done with the tailbacks too is, is I've brought them with the receivers. I mean, I coach the receivers. I tell the tailbacks to come with us because I mean, we are running some empty formations where, you know, sometimes he is number one or sometimes he is number two. Are, are we going to ask him to run every route in the tree? Probably not, but you never know. I mean, if you have a kid who is pretty special, you know, the Patriots do a lot of stuff with, with guys like James White and Deion Lewis. And, and I think 
those kids feel so much more involved when they're not just running like in seven on seven, I'm, I'm going our protection and I'm running a check down. I'm going our protection, I'm running a check down. And all of a sudden he's involved in the route schemes that that kid gets more involved when they do call a pass play. He understands, Oh, we're throwing the ball downtown or, Hey, here's, here's how this route fits. Or, Hey, when these guys run this route uh, and, and I'm going to be able to come underneath it, I'm going to be wide open. So I think it, it helps get him more invested in the, in the game plan. And not to mention, he feels like, Hey, I'm I'm a I'm a really good athlete too. I should be able to catch the ball. Well, and usually that he's your best player on the team, right? I mean, you know, you're going to put your best guy back there. So let's maximize his his talent level, and let's let's find different ways to get him in space. Yeah, exactly. Especially again, you know, it, it's it's not that hard. Maybe I don't have the best offensive line that year. I mean, we're going to work at it and still run the ball, but. You know, there might be some games where I'm, I'm running up against that brick wall, but then they have a Mike linebacker who can't cover my running back. I can make it be a long game for that guy. And, again, that comes back to you being able to scout personnel. Without a doubt. Coach, you, you've, all, you've obviously got a, a great map and, and how you're, you're doing things with R4, but, that, you know, one of the other things is you as a coordinator, at least the, the few games that I've seen is, is um, I, I don't know that you'd want to call them trick plays and, and I think gimmick sounds like a bad name but you've always got some some uh, different shot type plays that you're going to take a lot of times in the big games that I've watched uh, you call games um, you know I, I've seen you I've seen like the fall down with the quarterback you, you've chunked a couple deep on us I, I know you've got an awesome um, uh, yeah what gangster overlords what we called it uh, your, your goal line package with, with the quarterback and and poke exit uh, with the tight end or poker exit whatever and and uh, you always seem to come up with some some uh, uh, different type plays in, in some of these big games. Is that something uh, that you've incorporated with R4, or is that something that you're going to kind of get your game plan mapped out, and then um, from some of the film you watch or some ideas that you have, now you're going to try to sprinkle in some of those plays or some of those formations? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the, the thing that I, I used to do when I first started coordinating is you wait till that game week and you're, you know, you see that play on Saturday or Sunday. Oh, we got to put that in. I know Trim was big on that. He would always come in on Sunday. Well, as you remember, he'd come in and, and he would try to, you know, work the right coach and he'd get on the board and he would draw a crazy pass or all these tricks. He loved Trim plays. And so we're wasting 45 minutes or an hour of our Sunday game plan meeting trying to drop this play and we go out and it looks awful. And so I think we'll, from, from that experience of, of wanting to, you know, do all those cool things and you put them in and work them for three or four days and you do it in the game and it gets blown up. What, what I do now is we, we go into a season and we have, you know, three base trick plays that we're going to install at the beginning of the season. And those might change, you know, every year. And I have a left hash trick play, I have a middle of field trick play, and I have a right hash trick play. And so we're going to put those in, you know, week one of practice um, in preseason. And we're going to run those plays every week. Well, on Thursday, we're going to have, you know, a trick period. And we're going to run those every week. And when we use that play, that play gets put on the shelf and we install a new one. So, you know, it, it, through the offseason, if I see a good one, I'll put it in the file. And, you know, before we go in our coaches meeting, we'll say, okay, what's our three trick plays we're going into the season with? We'll run those. And we don't put another one in until we run that one. And doing it that way, I feel, has, has been more beneficial to us because now the kids aren't repping it just one time and then doing it in a game. They're, they're repping it, you know, you know, maybe 8, 10, 12 times before we run it, and then we install the next one. I think that's a great way to do it. Makes uh, makes complete sense. I mean, you look back, and as, as you're telling the story, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm sitting there thinking all, all of my most successful trick plays were, were ones that we had practiced, you know, 
eight to ten times. I mean, there there's a couple trick plays where I, you didn't even run it one year, but you'd practice it for a whole year, and then you run it the next year. So I think, yeah, the the more you can take all that, you know, the novelty out of it, the the amount of, you know, how's it going to time up? How's it going to look? You take all those things out of it, and the, the defensive looks have changed. All of a sudden, now it has a better chance of being successful. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, Dub, man, we're coming up on uh, we're coming up on an hour here, and I know you're you're a busy man. But you know, talk a little bit about uh, you know being a dad and, and how that's kind of maybe changed a little bit and and grounded you a little bit and and maybe you know shifted your mindset a little bit as you know not only just a coach but maybe as as a man and a leader of men. Yeah, it's just uh, you look at everything through a different lens. Uh, I think you coach kids a little bit differently, and. Um, you just really, you really, as from a time management perspective, you really, you know, I used to spend a lot of time watching film and you realize, you know, that maybe, you know, that extra two hours of watching film is not, you know, worth, you know, those two hours with my son because they grow so fast. I mean, he's just, you know, five, five weeks old right now and, and it's already gotten, you know, I don't even reckon I changes every day. So I think just, you know, being, understand how important family is, understanding how important, um, of an impact you can have on a young man with just your words and your actions and coaching players like you'd coach your son, I think has been a huge benefit of, of becoming a dad. Yeah, there's definitely times uh, uh, to not watch, watch film, especially when you can, you can uh, get it in at different times. But uh, it, when he gets older, that might be the, his, his favorite part. It's still one of the, one of the, I don't have that many, just a thousands of memories of, of my dad, but I still remember walking in late at night and he's back on the old, uh, VCR with with a spinning wheel of the remote and he's watching film and sitting down and watching film with them it, it was uh, uh, you know as a coach's kid uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that no oh, I, I can't wait for those moments I can't wait for the moments that he can be on the sideline and and like you said Rowdy just those moments where you may be watching film or talking plays or just I think another thing is just having my son being able to when he's old enough to be around uh, players. I, I can remember, you know, as a young kid, my dad was a principal and I remember him taking me into the locker room when I was four or five uh, at the end of a game. And I was just in awe of these guys and just how much I looked up to them. And so I can't wait for my son to experience some of those moments. Same man, <clears throat> best memories I have. And you know, it's, it's father's day weekend and, and it always brings you kind of back to those things, but I know, uh, you know, being able to do those things growing up, but then at the same time, you know, dub, uh, you know, living with you, coaching with you, getting to know your dad, uh, and then, you know, my dad coming down for a week. So getting to hang out, you know, with, with Daryl for a week. Uh, he still talks about those days, too. So, I mean, the, the cool things that you get to do in coaching, uh, especially when we all have dads, you know, who were, were involved with either education or involved with sports. I mean, what, what an awesome way to, you know, as Coach Trim would always say, you know, give back and pay it forward. So I think, you know, it, it Every time I get a chance to talk to you, man, it always brings back those cool memories of the, the stuff we got to do with, you know, not only just winning rings, but, hey, man, li lifelong stuff you get to do with, with each other's families. Without a doubt, man, one of the best, best times in my life, uh, those moments is good, good stuff. Daryl's the man. <laughs> D-Train says what's up, and uh, my wife just walked in, too, and she's like, hey, make sure you tell Dub uh, congratulations from me. So she was really happy for you as well, man. But Awesome. Like I said, dude, uh, I, I'm always I'm always in awe of the of the cool things you get to to bring to the table. You know, I, I get all your books. Um, I, I'm going to continue to be a lifelong learner, and, and you were one of the guys that that really helped me with my career. And I know uh, I wouldn't be here without you, man. So again, as always, I appreciate you, brother. 
I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. It's phenomenal. Uh, get a lot of good content from what you're doing and really enjoy the podcast. So keep, keep it up. All right, dude, we'll let you uh, get on your way. We know uh, you got stuff to go do, uh, changing diapers and uh, getting those bottles ready to rip. <laughs> That's right, man. It's awesome. All right, Dove, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, look forward to seeing your, uh, your video on Zode for the uh, Hot Summit as well, brother. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.